Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. First, a word from our sponsor. Every sport needs a team. Same as in business. That's why more small to mid-sized businesses in South Florida are choosing Greenlight Tech, the full-service concierge IT company that gets it right. Greenlight Tech advises, monitors, supports, and keeps your important data backed up and secure. They'll even message your vendors. Call Greenlight Tech at 561-352-9997. That's 561-352-9997. Mention this ad and get a free assessment. Sign up and your first month is free. Greenlight Tech, be unstoppable. Visit greenlighttek.com. I've already been introduced to the uh, bickering relationship between Evan and Ken. <laughs> I think Ethan, Ethan has experienced it for years as well with us. So yes. we just constantly will destroy each other. So I'll disagree with everything Ken says, even if I agree with it. So. <laughs> All right, that'll what, work. What are, what are the origins of that? Is it just because? No, I have I have an ability to unfairly hold things over Ken because when we first hired Ken, he was on the verge of taking a newspaper gig in North Dakota, and then he had like literally taken the job, and it was the last tape I listened to for a job in Madison, Wisconsin, and I listened to Ken's tape, and I'm like, this guy sounds really good, and he was like almost like a day away, well, right, right, right Ken, like a day away from going to North Dakota. Yeah, you then, offered, actually, you offered me the job three days before I was supposed to move. Right. So then he went to Madison, which is obviously – and he's from Chicago, so two hours away from his family, two and a half hours. And then a year into it, we moved him to Florida for obviously a hosting play-by-play gig. Day one on the job, Ken literally covered in-person Tiger Woods. And <laughs> I had the FAU play-by-play guy, job. I was the single worst Division One play-by-play announcer in America by a lot. <laughs> and one of my secret things in trying to steer Ken towards Florida – was to get out of that job but still have control of the job. And so I just handed it off to Ken. So there's been a lot of Ken's career that he's earned, but that unfortunately for him I've been involved in, so I get to hang it all over his head. Right. We right. should we, we should sa- we should save that story for the pod, actually. As okay. far as I'm concerned, we're rolling already. <laughs> okay. Welcome into episode 52 of the Five Reasons Podcast here, as always, with Chris Whittingham. Thank you for finding us. We are on iTunes, also on Google Play, Stitcher, CastBox, and our hosting app, Podbean. Also, look for the other podcasts in our network. You can start with Miami Heat Beat, Three Yards Per Carry, which just posted a new episode. They're off to a great start. They post every Thursday during the offseason. Ballscast, which actually has a new episode on the same day we post this episode this week on Fridays. Definitely check them out. That's a totally different way to look at South Florida sports, culture, politics, music, everything along those lines. And then the debut coming up next Wednesday of Pitch Invasion, who my partner here, Chris Winningham, will be spearheading that project. And we have a few more that are in our rotation or going to be in our rotation that we will be introducing here. One of the things that we haven't done on the podcast, we we focus a lot on Miami, a little bit on Broward County. 
We wanted to bring in a little bit of Palm Beach to the podcast here, and we found the perfect two guys to do this. So we're not just going to do it with one. We're going to do it with two guys who like arguing with each other and are on ESPN 106.3 up in West Palm. You can hear them. Ken Levick is on from 3 to 5, and Evan Cohen, you also probably know him from some of his Sirius XM work, is on from 5 to 6. I've known both of these guys for a long time. We think this will be a fun episode. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thanks for having us. It's our pleasure, and uh, you know I, I appreciate uh, Evan being able to share some spotlight with me. Finally. That's enough. We've heard enough from Kenny. Let's move on. <laughs> I, I seriously, for this podcast, I think I'm just going to turn my mic off and listen to you guys. <laughs> Ken already tried to steal your podcast. Like, why did he? Like, Chris didn't even speak before Ken spoke. There, and he wanted to go on for too long. Like, I thought that was a little bit of. <laughs> Can we put Ken in a penalty box? I know it's not a Panthers thing, but let's ice him at this point. My daughter calls it a thinking chair. You, you put, you put, it's not even timeout. You just you put someone – she's always wanting to put me in the thinking chair for not giving her enough ice cream. So maybe we'll put Ken in the thinking chair during this podcast. <laughs> Wait, can I – Ethan, just Ethan can I ask mic. you a question about this with your daughter? Because I haven't listened to the podcast yet. So your daughter learned something from Stugatz? What happened there? Well, okay. Here, here, here's what happened. We had Stugatz on for an episode. Uh, it's pretty great, actually, if you haven't heard it yet. It, You'll really appreciate the two of you guys because you're in radio, so it's a lot on. Well, John was also my counselor at camp when I was 11 years old. I'm so that explains a lot, actually. So <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm sorry about that, but a lot of it is about the uh, the formation of 790 and and you know him obviously being a producer for Hank. One of the things that I mentioned was that my daughter, I, I've been having her tape these videos on Instagram to promote what she calls the five reasons of podcast. And so I started out by just giving her like a quarter basically for this. And she told me the other day that a quarter was not enough. I had to give her two quarters <laughs> and she wanted ice cream. So I, I, I had to take her to Cold Stone. So I told Stu that the Stugatz is strong in her because uh, <laughs> she, she's developing some of those negotiating tactics. And Stu said she he wants in like an entire weekend with her to teach her how to get more money out of me. So Interesting. I mean, that's <laughs> over the years. So I, I'm a little concerned. I, he gave me a choice. I could send her to the Ultra Music Fest or have a weekend with Stu Gatz, and I, I will send her to Ultra at age three and a half. I think that's can, a better Can way. I have her represent me in my legal claim against Ken Levicka, who owes me $150? <laughs> so, yes. So we would occasionally do FAU games together, me play-by-play. Play. Evan is the analyst. And so Florida Atlantic, this was like, what, Evan? Six years ago at this point, seven years ago now. Yeah, which means I need to have interest on this, but keep going. Yeah, so we did a game together, and FAU, instead of paying Evan, just paid me the entire lump sum for the game, because you get paid by a game-by-game basis, and I have conveniently for seven years forgot to pay him his half of the game at this point. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. So I'm going to have Ethan's daughter negotiate on my behalf once she goes to the uh, Stugatz University. Uh, exactly, exactly. It's dangerous for Stugatz University. It's just like the Connecticut School of Broadcasting, except uh, except he's actually running it. But All right, it's, so guys, it's not broadcasting; it's fraudcasting. Fraudcasting. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. All right, so here's the topic today. We thought well, we wanted to go a little cross sports with you guys. We've done some of this on the podcast, and just want to pose this question: In three years, who will be in better shape, the Heat or the Dolphins? And I think a lot of people would just sort of jump to the conclusion of the heat because after all they've been a model franchise over the last 20 years and the dolphins have been a model of mediocrity but i actually think it is an interesting debate here and i think we're probably going to come in on different sides of this i want to start with part one of this and i'll go to evan on this first which is right now 
where do you think the two organizations stand? Before we get into where they're going, where do you think they both stand and maybe a little bit of background on how you think they got here? So I think that if you look at both sports in its simplest form, I think you can define how you're good at both sports in one simple sentence. If you don't have a quarterback in the NFL, you're not going to win. And if you don't have a superstar, a megastar, or let's call that a whale in the NBA, you're not going to win. And neither of these franchises right now has either of the two. And the way I would say, how do you get to that next place of success and who's closer to that level of success to me? And I am biased because I am an over the top obsessive Miami Heat fan, and I'm not going to lie about that. To me, it's easy to say the Miami Heat, and it's for this reason. Pat Riley is fully aware of the fact that he does not have a whale on that team. He tried the let's have the collective parts win this year, and it did not work. The Miami Dolphins, for whatever reason, think they have a quarterback. I have zero idea as to why. I don't know what Ryan Tannehill has done to prove that he can be a franchise quarterback, and they are no closer, in my opinion, to actually having one. So I think when you look at the Heat, there is going to be my guess, and I don't know the exact number here, my guess is this offseason in the NBA, there will be more trades than any offseason in the history of the league. There are too many teams that have bad salary numbers. There are too many teams that don't have space. And there are too many teams that are trying to angle for space in 19 and 20 when there are more free agents and the salary cap in theory could spike a little bit, not to the extent it did a few years ago, and then ultimately bad contracts would get off their hands. So there's a, there's a means to an end with the Heat. Okay, and whether it's Kawhi Leonard or Paul George or somehow LeBron or any of the other stars that could be traded, even if you want to buy into DeMar DeRozan or Bradley Beal or CJ McCollum or any of these almost stars that could be stars that may become available, that one may lead to another. I could see that path pretty easily for the Heat. Someone explain to me how the Miami Dolphins are going to win football games. And this is leaving out Belichick and Brady. Okay when they do not have a quarterback of the present, nor do they have a quarterback of the future. And the NFL is based simply on, do you have a quarterback that can outperform his contract? And if you don't, you are not going to win. So when it comes to comparing an NBA team and an NFL team and their comparative success, it's difficult because in the NBA, half the teams make the playoffs. And in the NFL, it's obviously a little bit more difficult. As far as where they stand, it's not exactly the same but i think it's close enough i think we can all agree right now the heat is currently constituted are a middle of the road eastern conference team the dolphins as currently constituted a middle of the road to at times below average afc team but neither are fighting for the lottery in any way shape or form or for a top 10 pick or anything along those lines um as far as how they got here, though, here's the difference. The Heat have built equity. They've done it before. They've got the three titles in the modern era. They had the big three. So you see what Pat Riley did, and you think, even if it's a little concerning, like it is to me, that he's just poo-pooing the draft completely now in favor of trying to go out and just build via free agency. This is a guy who's in the twilight of his executive career. I think that when you look at the Heat, you say, all right, yeah, Riley's done it. But that's sort of the point, isn't it, Ken? Like the fact that Pat Riley is eschewing for me what is going to be the path forward for his team because you look at his current situation, right? Evan, you mentioned it. There are tons of teams that are capped out. The Heat are one of them. 
And so they don't have anything desirable, any flexibility other than their history and their pedigree that would lead you to suggest that they're going to land any of these big money trades or these big money signings. Because if you're Bradley Beal and you're trying to figure out, okay, where can I go to win? I don't think anyone is looking at the Heat's roster as currently constituted as a desirable location to join up in free agency or via trade. Whereas at least the Dolphins, and you can criticize a lot of their moves. If you look towards next year, they're going to have tons of money in cap space if Mike Tannenbaum doesn't go and blow it because their contracts right now, as currently constituted, lead them to that place next year. And while you can criticize Ryan Tannehill, as, I, 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 don't, I don't know what your sort of standard for quarterback play is, and it's something that we've talked about a lot as it relates to the Dolphins, but at last we saw him, he was on his way towards leading the Dolphins towards the playoffs. And I think if you saw what happened in the NFL last year, I don't think it is just as simple. I, I'm not saying that the quarterback position is now all of a sudden devalued. You still need a really good one, but there are other ways to go and build a team that can surround your quarterback that is of the highest caliber and while it's going to be really hard for the Dolphins to do that because they don't have a track record in doing so I would at least say that given their free agency history given their free agency flexibility that they have going forward they have more of an ability to build out that roster around a decent quarterback if not a great one than the Heat do because they're over the cap already and they're a mediocre team I don't see their path out of it. So, Chris, I disagree a little bit on that, and here's why. I'll use a Mark Cuban line. He always says that the person that's not good at playing the stock market and then they win the lottery and they want to invest more because they have more money, they're not going to be good at playing the stock market. So the concept that because the Dolphins have salary cap room that they're going to invest correctly, I don't see how that could be the case considering they have never been good investors. They have never been good in free agency with this latest regime. I think Mike Tannenbaum is a really good people person, would be a really good president of an organization more than a general manager. Like I would love Mike Tannenbaum to do sales for my organization because he's really good at that. I don't know that football, X's and O's, is his best ability. And the thing is, being capped out has never stopped the heat before. Like, being capped out has never stopped them. And you say, what? well, why would a guy go there to win? Well, Pat Riley has had so many examples of reclamation projects, so the guy that thinks he doesn't have anything left or has been told he has nothing left somehow becomes something left with the heat. And I think that there are countless moves that they can make this offseason that I would anticipate them making that could potentially get them at least closer to greatness. Like, here's the thing I would say to you. While it's not apples to apples, what we saw last year felt a little bit like 0304. And there's no Wade. I mean, I know there is Wade, but there's no 23-year-old version of Wade. But Brian Grant and Lamar Odom and Karan Butler come in the form of Bam Adebayo, Justice Winslow, and Josh Richardson. And with Josh Richardson bumping up to $11 million next year and Bam and Justice around seven or eight combined, there is a way, there is a means to an end to get a superstar player. So the Dolphins having cap room does nothing for me because I don't anticipate that they will spend yeah. that well. Let me jump in here uh, on a couple things. The one thing I'll say, Evan, and we're going to get more into the management teams here in a second and the confidence that you have in each, is this is the first time in a while that I felt like the Dolphins actually had a plan this offseason. And I, I know that when you look on paper now and you say there's no Landry and there's no Sue and there's no Pouncey and this was a team devoid of stars already. And Chris and I have talked about that on the pod. Like, who's the face of the Dolphins? And like, it's like 36-year-old Cameron Wake and 31-year-old <laughs> Rashad Jones. But I felt like there was at least a plan. And I don't even feel it's Tannenbaum. I feel it's more Gase uh, where 
you could see what they were doing in the draft and free agency, which is trying to get. And we've we've talked to our guys from Three Yards Per Carry about this, and they really like what they did this off season because they look at it like in a lot of places they got two players for one. So what they've done is they've given Gase a roster where there's no excuses for him anymore because this is a versatile roster. He can game plan based on an opponent. He can make changes within a game because he has more useful pieces. They can go to four wide receivers at times. They can go to three tight ends at times. They have backs who are versatile. So you can see it. And what it looks like to me, and I'm not saying it's going to turn out this way, but it looked like to me when they were doing things on draft day, I go back to Belichick with, with the Patriots when he took over. That first roster he had was a lot of people did not think it was very good. He had like a lot of sort of bit parts he was kind of piecing together, but it was a versatile roster. And then obviously they struck gold with Brady, which is what the Dolphins would ultimately have to do. But they didn't have a lot of stars on that roster, but they had a lot of guys who could fill multiple roles on offense and on defense. And I felt like, I don't know if it's going to work, Evan, but I felt like for the first time there actually is a plan. And it feels to me more like Gates' plan than Tannenbaum's plan. And because I agree with you about Tannenbaum's ability to evaluate talent, I remember you, you talk about him as a salesman. He was Parcell's cap guy. Like he, he yep. was not his personnel guy. So he was David had, Blatt and Steve Kerr's agent, and he got them both great jobs. Like he's really right. good at that. Like let's right. not, I don't right. want to shortchange Mike Tannenbaum what he's really good at. It's just not putting a football team together. Right. But I felt like this offseason was the first time uh, you know I've seen where maybe it's a little less Tannenbaum and a little more of the others. I want to transition to number two here because Evan, you kind of brought this up and I think it's a good place for us to go is evaluating the management teams. And look, we're going to start with Pat Riley and say the Heat are better off. But Pat is also in his 70s. He was much more definitive about staying for a few years at the last press conference than he has been at the last couple. So I don't know what's changed because he's always talked about going year to year. And now he sort of sounded like he wants to stick around for a while. So that's a change. We also have the thing that happened yesterday where Shane Battier is a candidate, according to Lowe's, to join the Detroit front office, and Shane loves Michigan. I was with Shane the last time he played at Auburn Hills, and he had a little mic and a video camera attached to his jersey during warm-up so he could take video of the last time he was going to be playing in Auburn Hills. So he loves that area. We went to a shoot-around. The Heat hosted a shoot-around at Detroit Country Day so that Shane could play in that gym one more time. So it wouldn't stun me if Shane looked seriously at that job. But I guess the question with the Heat and the Dolphins is, I think we all trust what they have now in place more for the Heat. But do you trust the succession plan for the Heat as much as you trust sort of how the, who the Dolphins have in place right now? And I could start with Ken on this. Yeah, I think that, again, it goes to the equity with the Heat. And I agree with you that Pat Riley is obviously in his 70s now. It seemed like he had maybe two, three years left. I mean, go back to the the annual postseason press conferences of the last three years. And it certainly sounded like every single one that Riley is talking about, oh, maybe one last run. Who knows how much time I have left? And all of a sudden this year, there was a defiance. There was a, hey, I'm going to stick around with this. And uh, for me, that was a little bit surprising especially then, as I mentioned earlier, when he's talking about, hey, we can do this through free agency. We don't need to do this through the draft. That's not the priority. And I think we've seen with the Heat and what they've done in the last five, six off seasons that that certainly is the case. And it makes you wonder, well, what is the direction? But I just get the sense, and this is always with me, and maybe it's misguided, but with Mickey Arison in charge and you've got Nick around and you have all of your cap people and everybody that's been in Pat Riley's inner circle, you feel like 
like there is something stable about all of that. They're going to make the right decision that I don't have proof that this is going to be the case, but management moving forward because it's under that one umbrella. There haven't been many moving pieces that someone's going to pick up the torch and move on once it is time for Riley to move forward. Now, Shane Battier obviously is extremely surprising. I do think that he is going to end up probably sticking around. He is the heir apparent to that, it appeared. But you compare that to the Dolphins, where Mike Tannenbaum, who basically was run out of New York. Yes, he built some good Jets defenses, but it certainly worn out his welcome in that role. But he's Stephen Ross's guy. Stephen Ross had a lack of football people by all accounts making the football decisions. You bring in Tannenbaum and it's been uninspiring to this point. And while I agree with you that yes, this offseason maybe was a little bit more the direction you need to go for instead of going for the home run all the time in free agency and whatever you're going to end up doing in the draft. Uh, it's been one who's the missing piece in the front office. What needs to change in the front office? What personnel change is going to happen after another with the Dolphins? So I just I can't definitively say that all this equity the Heat have built up is going to give way to some fantasy we're holding about the Dolphins and the way the respective owners run their franchises. Mickey Harrison has been stable and intelligent. Stephen Ross, though his intentions are good, has been erratic and has not been able to find any sort of success and to me that holds a lot of weight so even by definition you asked about succession plan and how Mm -hmm. i take succession plan is an internal replacement like i'm i'm in the process of trying to figure out ken levicka's succession plan currently with some (laughs) of our teammates Um, (laughs) at espn west palm no but but you know what i'm saying and i think that's why that's why it's important to actually listen to those words because the heat could go in so many different directions relative to riley I mean, Andy Ellisberg is the single best cap guy in the league. I don't think his job actually needs to change if Pat Riley retires and goes to Malibu. Whether it's Shane Battier is the president of the organization, if Eric Spolstra ever doesn't want to coach and becomes the president of the organization, if Adam Simon becomes more of the GM type and not a president, if Nick Arison becomes the president, I think if Udonis Haslam or Dwayne Wade somehow develop into some sort of role, I mean, there are so many answers to that question. If James Jones ever wants to come back, who's getting on-the-job training in Phoenix, despite the fact that I'll still never get over the fact that he stabbed everybody in the back and went with LeBron. But, you know, all (laughs) of that. Like, I just think that succession plan, the Heat are in much better position because you're talking about people that already work there. Dolphins' succession plan, the future, who's after this this group now? If we're talking about what happens if this doesn't work, like if we're going to say if both things that both teams are planning do do not work, what happens? The Heat keep trying with the Heat people and the Heat culture the same way they've always done it. The Dolphins are going to clean house again. Now, that said, it would not surprise me one bit if the Mike Tannenbaum, Greer, Gay's organization structure didn't work and Stephen Ross cleans house. If Tannenbaum then went to some sort of Tom Garfinkel you know, old school Mike D, assistant to Stephen Ross like advisor. with yeah. his company and not necessarily the Dolphins. We're talking about the future. I do kind of want to analyze the present a little bit. Now, as it relates to Pat Riley, I do think what's happened the last few years can come under serious scrutiny. Now, the one kind of free pass that he gets is that 
Chris Bosh and his health situation. If Chris Bosh was healthy, a lot of his plans maybe look a lot better than they do now. But you'd have to say, starting in 2014, there was a certain lack of planning that came with LeBron leaving. Now, it's really hard to plan for something like that. You lose the best player in the league. It's really hard to recover. But I think what happened to Pat Riley after that was he started to chase and he wanted to be competitive, and he didn't want his organization to be broken by LeBron James. And I'm not even saying, you know, the the Chris Bosh extension was really that bad, because like I said, if he was healthy, I think it would have been a fair and fine contract. To me, the Goran Dragic trade, the going after the present, the present, it's always about the present. We're trying to win now, and never taking a step back and going, well, hang on a second, how am I going to find this next superstar? Because he was going to Kevin Durant, with a pretty bad hand, right? And and that's why I don't have as much faith that they're going to land this superstar because they went to Kevin Durant with a bad hand. They impressed him, but with a bad hand. They went to Gordon Hayward with a bad hand, impressed him, but with a bad hand. My question is, does their hand ever improve? I would look at it the other way. They're in the room with LaMarcus Aldridge with no cap space. They're in the room with Gordon Hayward with, as you said, Chris, a bad hand. Same thing with Kevin Durant. I'd also look back and say, while I think there is a value to tanking, I mean, especially, side note, in baseball, we've seen multiple champions year after year here. Like, I think it's kind of funny. The team that actually may be in the best shape for the next five years, sneaky, could be the Marlins, as odd as that sounds, because they're doing what could be smart relative to tanking. Because in that sport, it has been clear. The Astros and Cubs did it, and it's worked. But Philly hasn't won yet. Boston, while they didn't tank, they acquired as many assets as possible, has not won. Like, it's real simple for Pat Riley. It's won, championship Won the championship, but, but if, if we're going forward, Evan, like, if you're Philly or if you're Boston, no, no, you feel course, really good about where shape. you are. They're, they're in better shape. No, no, I'm not doubting that at all. What I'm saying is it's easy to say it now, revisionist history, like, oh, Riley didn't do a good job with this or he's chasing. I just don't know which of the moves we would look at and say you should not have made that move because I think Hassan Whiteside is a total dud right now. And I would love to see him traded, and I would trade him for 50 cents on the dollar for John Henson and Matthew Dellavedova. Okay, I would make that trade. But, and Ethan was way closer to this than I ever was, I would make the argument that it was still the right move to sign him because he's on a $1 million contract. It's not like $20 million of cap space if he doesn't sign, and you need a $20 million asset to get $20 million worth in return. And the only way you were going to do it is by signing him. Yeah. Now, I'll, and this is broad, but I'll ask this. So when it comes to Pat Riley, and I think we can all agree that uh, the Heat, you know, average four or five or missing the playoffs, that stems back to LeBron screwing the Heat, turning his back, walking out and leaving the Heat and throwing everything out of the mix. So Pat Riley now, here's the question. And I don't know the answer, so I'm posing it to you guys. Will he have the wherewithal to knowledge to know when he has had enough, that he no longer carries the clout that we're used to Pat Riley, that name carrying and who's going to tell him? That's a really good question, Ken. And, and the answer to that is, I don't think he will. And I think what we talk about with this last press conference where he was, I, you came up with a good word for it, which was defiant. I think that defiance has led to what Chris is talking about over the past four years, um, where, you know, Pat basically did not. I mean, again, before we talk about what happened last offseason, which I think is the real problem. And Chris and I talked have talked about this a lot on the pod. Like, why didn't you just sign a bunch of guys to one year contracts and, and roll it over again until you got your star? But I think this all goes back to 14. And Pat was so angry about the LeBron thing that colors everything, because not only did they try to cut, you know, they cut 
cut these deals with Granger and McRoberts, which did not impress LeBron. But then they kept compounding the era by trying to as compete immediately. And, you know, the Dragic trade, look, that's the ultimate in bad luck. Like, I can't blame them for that one because, I mean, Chris Bosh, they found out he was sick the same day. Like, right. if, they, if, if they knew about Bosh's situation, they don't make the Dragic trade. Right? Well, Ethan, Ethan, one thing on that, I'm sorry to interrupt, and I want mm-hmm. you to finish this talk because I want to hear what you want to say. But, like, I still, and we talked about this on the Heat Beat pod a couple of weeks ago. Like, if that team plays and it's Dragic, Wade, Dang, Bosh, Whiteside, they beat the Raptors, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying they, def- they definitely beat the Cavs, but my belief is they take enough out of the Cavs where LeBron does not win a championship in Cleveland. I don't I think, think there's he a possibility. Has I don't think he has enough left in him to come back from 3-1 at that point. My only counter to that, Evan, because and I covered that team. I was with that team every day in 15-16. My only counter to that is there were certain things that they did the first half of that season that I thought were going to work that didn't work. Like that, that starting lineup that you mentioned, which was, again, Dragic, Wade, Dang, Whiteside, and Bosch. Whiteside and Bosch didn't play particularly well together, which was a bit of a surprise because I thought right. that that would be a really good fit. And Dragic and Wade to play the four. Dang needed to play the four. That team took off when Dang moved to the four. And Dragic and Wade, as we've still seen still, I mean, this is still an issue with Dwayne coming back, that Goran defers when Dwayne's around. And so that really didn't work perfectly either. On paper, that starting five was good enough to beat Cleveland and get to the finals. Would it have happened? You know, especially when you were bringing, you got outsized performance from Josh Richardson as a rookie, and you had Winslow, and so you had both of those guys on your bench and you had a couple of other useful pieces on your bench. I mean, Josh Richardson right now has the third highest value of a replacement player of any player in his draft. And he was drafted 40th overall. So you got great value out of that. So that team would have had a chance, but the thing that happened with Dragic and Bosch on the same day hurt them. But I think what really hurt them was again, Pat constantly trying to keep this organization relevant. Like that's the biggest thing with Pat. He made basketball matter in this town. He doesn't want to get to a point where it ever doesn't matter, right? Like, that's the worst possible situation for him. I think the anger towards LeBron initially, and then Dwayne leaves, and there was frustration with that in 2016. They made the right play. Andy, as you mentioned, is the best cap guy in the business. They had all those contracts ready to go, signed five or six guys, got outsized performances from a few of them, James Johnson and Deion Waiters in particular, but then... Instead of just letting those guys walk and signing, as Chris has outlined on our pod, a bunch of guys like Tyreek Evans and Jeff Green for one year, instead of re-signing James Johnson and Deion Waiters to these contracts you now can't get rid of, so uh, or I think are going to be difficult to get rid of. We're going to talk about that more here. To me, that's the big part of this. Is I, I have total faith in Pat understanding what it takes, but I think that he's over the past few years he's allowed emotion to sort of carry the day too much. So with the with Chris, your idea on that, it's funny because Jeremy Marks Pelt Champion, you guys know who's on our station as well with us on ESP 106.3, literally gave the exact same two guys. When we were talking, I remember we literally have uh, we have a brand new downtown West Palm office that's beautiful, and we have one of these like I, I've been, it's incredible. Yeah, th- well, thank you. One of these dry erase boards, in essence, like that an entire wall. And I remember us sitting there like just freaking losers, like we're supposed to be working, and we're just going through heat free agency. And <laughs> JMP, yeah, so J- yeah, so JMP is literally saying like, ah, now I would go and Jeff Green and Tyreek Evans on one-year deals. And I'm like, no, you got to bring these guys back. And like, so I understand you guys are probably right on that. I think, Ethan, I would still argue that I don't think these guys are as impossible to trade as people think because I actually think a lot of people don't understand the contracts because the unlikely bonuses, their flat numbers are not as high as people were initially reported. 
So they're not that horrific. And I understand that they have years, and specifically James Johnson in terms of the number of years. But, like, Kelly Olynyk's contract is actually great. And, like, I don't want to necessarily get rid of him, but you may have to. You know, the thing on that, though, Evan, I, look, I, and that's interesting. I haven't heard that point raised. My problem with all this, and we had Sedano on, and we talked about this a little bit. To me, the Lou Williams contract blew all this up, just totally blew it up. Because even though Lou is a little older than, say, a guy like Dion, you know the kind of production you're going to get from him. And when he did a three-year, $24 million contract during the season, when he was having a six-man-of-the-year type season and was an all-star candidate— to me, that tells you where the cap is right now. Like it tells you that the cap flattening out, that some of these contracts that we thought were pretty good at 13, 14 million per, when Lou Williams is getting eight per for that kind of production, I think it's going to be hard to move these kind of guys. The bigger problem is that everyone else is going to be trying to move their version of it, right? That's so right. You, so you That's go right. up and down the league, everyone else is. And so are you just going to take on somebody else's issue just because it's not your issue? Like I, I, that to me is the bigger problem is that. Everyone else is kind of in the same place. If you're willing to take on, if there's a way to take on someone else's issue that's shorter. So like one of the things that I've been saying, and some people have laughed at this, some people love this, is my belief is that Oklahoma City will not get players to go play there. And my belief is that they are not going to be able to bring in free agents because I don't believe people are going to want to play with Russell Westbrook slash live in Oklahoma City slash they don't have the cap room to offer more money than the next team. So guys like Tyler and James Johnson while their contracts, I mean, Tyler obviously is horrific, but while their contracts are not great, obviously, would they consider trading Carmelo Anthony, who they don't want, for two role players that may actually fit better alongside a guy like Tyler Johnson? And then, you know, in the Heat culture, Carmelo Anthony on a one-year deal slimming down, I'd believe in. And if not, $28 million off the books. Now, I don't know if a trade like that can happen, but to your point, Chris, that's the kind of trade that I'm talking about, where it's I will trade you guys that have more years so you can have guys and assets on your team for a guy that has less years that you really don't want. Like, as stupid as it sounds, I would trade for Luol Deng. I would trade for Joe Kim Noah if it's less years and less money ultimately because I actually believe that Luol Deng coming back to the Heat and Joe Kim Noah on the Heat, as crazy as it sounds, would be serviceable. If you're going to take my bad contracts, I, I would take Dang before I take Noah. I think Noah is just completely and utterly dumb. But I, I like the idea, right? Like it's basically we're gonna we're gonna swap problems and see if we can solve each other's problems in some capacity. I don't think anyone's taking that Tyler Johnson deal though. Oklahoma City, whomever, like it's got to be first round picks or the current first round picks on the team that get sick of being upsold at gyms. My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details you off of Tyler Johnson I think like my thing is you just eat it like you just eat Tyler Johnson and then live to fight in 2020 yeah well okay so you may be right about that and I think that the untold story and Ethan you would know this better than I would correct me if I'm wrong when he got the offer from the Nets Riley went to him or somebody on the heat went to him and said can you not sign the offer sheet we'll flatten it four for 48 and he said no I gave them my word that's what I heard that's what I heard. I mean, that's the story that's come out from there. And and uh, look, it, if it's four for 48, it doesn't look so terrible, right? But it's just the way that it explodes right now. And and also the fact that 
Tyler regressed a little this year. Like if Tyler had sort of incrementally improved, like he had his first couple of seasons, I think you'd feel better about it, but it's a team with a ton of small guards and it plays into the Dwayne decision here. And that's going to make it more of a problem for Tyler. I think with the fans, cause Tyler's a likable guy. He plays hard. Like there's nothing not to like about Tyler Johnson, but Tyler Johnson may be one of the reasons that Dwayne Wade retires ultimately, because you can't have five, two guards on a team uh, with Dion waiters coming back, making, and you're going to have two of them in Dion and Tyler making what $33 million between them. That's before we even have a conversation about Ellington, who I don't think they're going to bring back, no matter what they're talking about now. So I think Ellington ends up in a place like Philadelphia, replacing Reddick or something along those you know, lines. It, and it's funny, sorry to cut you off uh, there, Ethan, but we're talking about management teams. Like we've spent the last 10 minutes talking about the Heat and what's coming up in the next couple of years in free agency. And I think that's proof of management now and then coming up that we can at least have these conversations about the Heat and how they can alter the roster and how they can keep themselves financially viable and how they can keep themselves relevant and be a player. Are the Dolphins a player for anything significant? Do we yeah. talk about them in any circles with any sort of impact player that might be in free agency that may be threatening the Patriots? And the answer to that is no. And I feel like all of this, the last 10 minutes, answers topic number two. Yeah. Uh, you know uh, what? Strike this from the record. I, great point by Ken. Um, <laughs> that I don't want that on the podcast. But, um, so, it's going here's on. The, here's the other thing. While we're all sitting there saying Tyler's deal is terrible, when the, like Olenek is the perfect example. When the Heat value a player more than average man or woman values a player, you kind of give them the benefit of the doubt, right? Like the Heat valued Olenek where he's only making 11 next year. Like that's a crazy good contract. I freaking love Danny Amendola. When your nickname is Playoff Danny and you sign for $7 million more per year with the Dolphins and the Patriots offered you – I don't trust the Dolphins organization. I'm sorry. He, Playoff Danny's a funny nickname for a guy who signs with the Dolphins. The Patriots were offering him one to two. The Dolphins offered him eight. So the Dolphins, to answer Ken's question, yes, Ken, they can be players if they pay guys eight times more than the great teams yeah, would pay that's them. a panic move. Okay, but, but but hang on. I mean, they they did they went out and got Indomitian Sue, and yes, they 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 were the highest bidder, right? That's the only way that Indomitian Sue goes to your team. But they went out and tried to do it that way. It, it is in some respects the the difference in the nature of the sports, right? Because you don't go out yes. and solve your problems via free agency if you're the Dolphins. That's the imprudent way, the lacking in value way to do it. It's via the draft, but. I mean, the Dolphins have tried this method of going out and getting the big free agent of the of the time. They traded for Brandon Marshall. They signed Mike Wallace. They signed Indomitian Sue. Like, they've gone out and Joey Porter. They tried to go out and solve these, this problem with big money names. It just hasn't worked out for them. But, Chris, Chris aren't, isn't the mark of a good organization when someone comes to you for the lowest offer? The Heat have traditionally gotten guys on the scrap heap. They have offered the lowest number, and guys accept that number thinking, if I take this for a year, I'm going to get better and then make a whole hell of a lot more down the line. That's the mark of a great organization. But, but, you, but, you, don't, you, don't, but you don't think that with Waiters and with James Johnson, even with Bosch, they had to do it with Bosch because if they didn't offer him the, the fifth year and, and the full max deal, then he was off to Houston. Like They haven't done it for some time. 
Yeah, but well, that's just, a whole different story, obviously. I mean, it, that, that day, Ethan could tell you better than I can. But, I mean, mm. that day, I don't think that Pat Riley, may he rest in peace, I don't think that Pat Riley was the biggest Henry Thomas fan based on that day. <laughs> that, that was, uh, that yeah. was. I mean, they had 30 minutes. I mean, essentially, they had they had 30 minutes to make a decision. And the, the decision that they made, again, I agree with Chris, that contract doesn't wouldn't have looked so bad if Bosch was healthy. I think he would have lived up to it or pretty close to it. But really, that came down to them having 30 minutes. And again, Pat not wanting to take a step back because LeBron wasn't here like that. And that was the whole thing. I mean, again, it was personal to a certain degree. It was, we're going to compete one way or the other. And the only way to do that was to pay Bosch that much. And again, that then bled into the situation with Dwayne where Dwayne ended up being unhappy and you lose Dwayne in 2016, even though he had the same agent. So they just had a very short time window. The thing that they didn't do very well was read the tea leaves there. Like Bosch's family wasn't moving to Houston. Like they, they did not want to, I mean, it just wasn't going to happen. And I don't know. Well, they knew, they knew based that. Based on some of the sort of the post-mortem reporting, it did seem like he was going to go. Like he told Bill Simmons that he was going to go. He was going to go. But I, I know that I know, for instance, his wife wanted to stay in Miami. Like, and so it, well, I think don't it, live in Texas now. No, did they did they move to Texas? I'm or pretty they, like, sure they live. Oh, uh, they in moved Texas. to. Oh, uh, that's well, they have the situation now. Well, yeah, they're actually they're trying mom. trying trying to kick the mom out of the, the house yeah. right now. That's. Let that's, me, can, that's, I, can I just ask a quick we'll Dolphins question? Out of the pod. Quick, go ahead. quick Dolphins question back to you guys. So, because Chris, you're you're obviously higher on Tannehill than certainly I am, and, and I think Ken is. So let's just spin it negatively. Unfortunately for the Dolphins, let's say Tannehill is not as good as you are hoping he is this year. Then what? Take me through what happens with the single most important position in sports by a significant. Well, I think if he's not good, then it has kind of, you know, widespreading implications. So I guess it depends on how not good, right? So if he himself is okay, but the team is bad, then I don't know where they go. Like to, to me, there's like a certain level of mediocrity that has plagued the Dolphins that I feel like can happen this year where if they go like seven and nine and Ryan Tannehill is okay, then good God, what do you do, man? Because you don't even have a top pick. Now, the best thing that can happen is they go three and 13 and, and they just scrap it and they go again with another quarterback. But yeah, if they go seven and nine and they're just going to bang their head against the wall with another Ryan Tannehill year, like I'm not here to say that he's good. Like I think he's like the 18th best quarterback in the league. I just think that like there is a way that you can win with Ryan Tannehill and it's by building a really good team around him and so if they met if they've managed to do that at least offensively then I think maybe their offense can be good but I, I think if they have another mediocre season then good god I, like I, I'm with you but my thing is that the Heat are in the same position right because I think they're just going to go out and win they're not going to make any big moves this offseason they're going to win 43 games again they're going to get bounced in the first round and we're going to be sitting here next year asking the same questions about how can they improve so I'm not saying that it, my, the reason why I'm picking the Dolphins because it's the lesser of bad options, but I'm most of the way there. That aspect of it, and Ethan, you mentioned earlier that Pat Riley is obsessed with keeping the Heat relevant, and I don't think that's any way to run a franchise, keeping that in mind, but I also think it speaks to where the Heat are now. This is a basketball region. I think we all agree on that, though I do think that the Dolphins winning a Super Bowl would be the biggest thing to happen. That said, you know, another mediocre season, this has all the earmarks of that, and so Chris, you mentioned 7-9, and 8-8. Eight and eight. Yeah, like, what's what's keeping the Dolphins from doing that? This is not a 3-13 and 13 football team, and that's sort of the problem. The Jets, though they didn't do it perfectly, 
They purposely stripped down the roster last year to put themselves in a position to eventually then get Sam Darnold. And they're feeling pretty damn good about themselves right now because of that. And so now you're the Dolphins who, depending on how the knee holds up for Tannehill, this sucks to say, but that scenario of a tank and then being able to get a quarterback is contingent upon that knee failing again for Ryan Tannehill. And then you have to go back to your backups. I mean, Ken, again, is nailing it. Edit that out. Um, Because... (laughs) The thing that I would say off of that is if you said next three years, every single quarterback in the AFC East is healthy, how would you rank the quarterbacks you'd want on your team for the next three years? I don't even know that Ryan Tannehill is a top five quarterback in the AFC East. And I'm being serious. Hang on. Because, okay, I'm going to go through it. Okay. Next. (laughs) I knew that reaction. (laughs) Okay. Brady, obviously. Sure. Sam Darnold, I'm sorry. The unknown in the case of Darnold is better than the known of Tannehill. Josh Allen, the unknown of Josh Allen is better than the known of Tannehill. I know he's bad, but go on. Yeah. (laughs) uh, AJ McCarron, I'd rather have than Ryan Tannehill. For me, I'm I'm just telling you. And if healthy, I'd rather have Teddy Bridgewater. Ugh, God. Oof, no. But, but, I mean, he hasn't been healthy in two years. I mean... Uh, we're, but neither is Tannehill, so we're pretending that everybody's like, healthy. Okay, but two years ago, he was playing and got hurt. Like, he was 8-5 and five and got hurt in a game and hasn't played since. But, like, we've seen Ryan Tannehill be good more recently than Teddy Bridgewater. I, I mean, A.J. McCarron, maybe, if, if he started, he would look good. I don't rate Josh Allen whatsoever. So I would agree with you on Bra- Brady as a given, although, I mean, he's 40, so it's going it's gonna, to... If we're saying next three years, I mean, like, Brady he had 43 as as crazy as this has been I think in the next three years it comes to an end but uh I agree with you on Darnold though I I think Darnold is a really good prospect and he's he's on his way to being better than than Tannehill keeping it in the division and this is part of being relevant the Heat will for the foreseeable future make the postseason they will at least have that excitement of the lead-in whether it's the six seven or eight seed they'll be relevant going back to that point when it comes to the Dolphins as long as Bill Belichick is in the AFC East they don't have the luxury of being in a division where you can sneak in at nine and seven you're okay. constantly playing in a wild card you're constantly trying to fight through that wormhole to get into the postseason you'll never back your way into the playoffs like we've seen previously with the AFC North or with the NFC West it's just not going to happen and that works against the Dolphins too and anybody who's thinking about tanking relative to the heat there is a clear-cut year to do it and it's not this year it's the year that you would go into the 2020 draft now they have their the Suns get their pick when not is it they get it they get it they get it this year in 21 21 right so 2020 is the double draft and what I mean by that is 2020 is likely the draft in which high school players are allowed to go from high school to the pros Yeah. As well as the one and done. So you'd have two drafts in one. So that's the year you want your pick. So you'd want to tank. If there's a year to tank, it's that year, not any of the next two. We'll continue the conversation in a minute. But first, I want to introduce you to another of the great podcasts in the growing Five Reason Sports Podcast Network. And that is Miami Heat Beat. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Heat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Ricardo Navas, and unfortunately, the Heat have been eliminated from the playoffs because the Sixers and the referees are clearly cheating. Um, Jokes aside, we're still going to be going strong. Every Monday, look for new episodes of the Heat Beat Podcast. We're going to be going into the Heat's future, past, and present, as well as going around the league, and we're going to be guest-heavy throughout this postseason run. So check us out at MIA Heat Beat on Twitter and Miami Heat Beat on Facebook so we can keep you posted on what's to come. 
right, we've kind of done we've kind of combined numbers two and number three here <laughs> in this part. So because we were going to talk about which team is more primed to find a new star, and we've kind of covered that a little bit in terms of what the Heat situation is and the Dolphins getting a quarterback. And again, the big picture there is that. You know, the Dolphins are going into this season with really no change at their quarterback position other than subbing out Matt Moore. So fewer people will call for him to start now. So basically all they've done is replace Matt Moore with Brock Osweiler and, and, you know, didn't end up taking a quarterback with any of those. So, you know, that that is the big question. If Tannehill doesn't work out, what is the solution there? But that's interesting because now I'm rethinking one of my answers now, because if again, I'm taking the questions very literally here. The question is, who's closer to getting their next star? So I guess technically the Heat would, based on this offseason, the proximity of this offseason versus next year's draft. But to Chris's point, if the Dolphins go 3-13, and 13, they're yes. going to take a quarterback. And that guy, whoever he is, will be the face of the franchise and their star. So I guess if the Heat don't get a legitimate star by February of, next, of 2019, my assumption that the Dolphins will not be good will then lead to Chris's answer that the Dolphins would then be closer because they would likely draft a quarterback. All right, let's get to part four here then. And this is about the coaches. And I talked a little earlier about how I feel like the organization for the Dolphins has moved more towards Adam Gase this offseason. Like he's going to sink or swim with his guys now. And he's talked about that. And there, there can't be as many excuses about Landry or Ajayi or not knowing you know, what the plays were, not running them correctly. Like he's bringing in his kind of people. They overpaid for Danny Amendola in part because they think he's going to be in the right place. Right. Like and and I, I agree with you guys and what you're talking about, about them always overpaying for players. I mean, this has been a Dolphin problem for years. I mean, you, you mentioned even the Joey Porter thing, which Joey Porter had one really good year and one really bad year for them. But another situation where a smarter organization, the Steelers, gets rid of a guy one year too early instead of one year too late or paying for that guy to come in. So but Gase has more of his own people now. Spolstra also has more of his kind of team. Like we've seen this thing morph from Pat to Eric in terms of style of play, in terms of the way that Eric wants to use a roster. Eric basically was behind a lot of the staff changes in terms of the coaching. So he has more of a developmental staff and he's elevated Juwan. It's much more Eric's team than it ever used to be, except for one thing, guys. And, and this is something we haven't talked about very much here on the is Whiteside, right? Right. That's that's the one thing here because the Whiteside is a pat relic, basically. Like, and I'm I'm with you, Evan. You know, they had to pay him at the time. Like, they had other teams that were interested. You don't give up the asset for nothing. You hope that he's going to develop. You hope it doesn't turn out like it's turned out. But now, unfortunately, you're there. But with the exception of that, Spo has his team. I guess going forward, guys, from a coaching perspective, do we feel better about Spo just because we've seen him do it? Or do you have confidence now that Gase has his team that he can be a long-term fixture for the Dolphins and somebody who actually is able to attract good players here? Go ahead, Ken. You're, you're the okay. superstar. All right. Yo, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, so when it comes to Adam Gase, and I have been very outspoken about this, I was a fan of his coming off of Chicago, where me being from Chicago, I still keep up with the Bears an awful lot. He did the best possible job anybody could have done with Jay Cutler at that point in his career. But now that I've seen him for two years, it has become uh, apparent that he has no problem throwing under the bus. He has no problem making excuses. I thought that that locker room culture change last year was absolutely ridiculous. We still don't know what the Dolphins culture is or what Adam Gase wants it to be. That's never been defined. With the Heat, we know it. With the Dolphins, we're not so sure. So, yes, Adam Gase has 
more of his guys in, but it was very off-putting to hear him a couple of weeks ago when Davey say, oh, I've only been able to run X amount of what my actual offense is. This is a league of adjustments. You take what you have and you mold it best to what you eventually want to do, but this is not excuse making. And I'm so, maybe this is old school, like, you know, fist on the table, hot takey, but uh, come on. Everybody else in the league that wins is able to adjust and is able to use their personnel and is able to find ways to get into the playoffs. Meanwhile, Adam Gase's excuse after excuse, it was Jay Ajayi. He had a bad attitude in the locker room. And Dominican Sue, in typical Dolphins fashion, they're going to kick him on the ass on the way out and try and make him look like the bad guy. So now he's got his guys in, and he's still going to talk about how little he's going to able to do of what he actually wants to do well this is the year now this is year three and so when it comes to coaching success I have no doubt he's a brilliant offensive mind he's done well with quarterbacks in his time as an offensive coordinator and a quarterbacks coach but he has not proven anything to me as a head coach and I know that the Dolphins had that good run in the last half of the season Tannehill getting hurt and Matt Moore picked up the mantle and helped get him into the postseason but look at the wins in that run the most impressive win was that beating of Pittsburgh while they were playing the worst football of their season. And from there, it was lackluster teams down the stretch. So I just don't think that that's a great sample size of, oh, this is what the Dolphins can be when Adam Gase's system is in place and he has all of his personnel. As far as Spo is concerned, yes, there is a comfort level, Ethan, in terms of us seeing what he can do, the culture. He never makes excuses. He refused to go after Hassan Whiteside publicly, even though Hassan deserved it 100 million times over. I will say this, though. I'm a little shook overseeing what Brad Stevens has done with the Celtics. And I am a huge Spo fan, and I feel dirty even thinking this way because I've always considered Spo to be maybe the best X's and O's pure coach in the NBA. And what Brad Stevens has done, the fact that Spo is now, I don't think any question, not the best coach even in the Eastern Conference, I don't know how to handle this. And so, you know, the Heat are fine with Spo, but boy, there's some talent coming, and Brad Stevens is 1A of that group. So I think Ken makes a lot of good points. Let me go to the last one first. I think for however the last few years, there's been an understanding that the top five coaches in the NBA were pop and then however you want to arrange two through five between Spo, Brad Stevens, Steve Kerr, and Rick Carlisle. To Ken's point, I think if Stevens gets to the finals, he probably solidifies himself as two even without a title and then three through five, however you want to arrange them. I happen to like Adam Gase. I think he comes from the right, you know, system, working for McDaniels and Saban and, you know, maybe not John Fox, but, you know, working for some of these guys and working with Peyton Manning. I think he's got a really good pedigree. That doesn't mean he's going to be good because he has a good pedigree. I haven't looked at him as the problem. I've just looked at the overall, and this goes back to the argument that Chris and I have had, the overall assessment of Ryan Tannehill as the single biggest problem. I think it's impossible to compare Gaze to Spo. I mean, what Spo has done forever with the Miami Heat in terms of winning the two championships, getting to the finals, I think the biggest accomplishment, yes, winning all of these games with, in essence, a year ago, scrubs that nobody wanted. I think we all have to understand that the closest that anyone has ever come to actually coaching LeBron James is Eric Spolstra. Actually saying to LeBron James, 
I know you don't like doing what I'm going to now tell you to do, but it's going to be better for you and better for us, which is the ultimate thing that a coach, a manager, a leader has to do is to put his or her team, business, life, sports, whatever, in positions where they can succeed and the team can succeed that they may not be comfortable in. The fact that Spo was able to do that with LeBron is crazy to me. That's unbelievable as the head coach. You know, Adam Gates did that to some extent with Peyton Manning, but it's a little different when you're the assistant coach. So I just think when you compare the coaches, I think both of the teams have bright futures, but obviously you have to lean towards the heat. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you here. I think Adam Gase has now become underrated for me because I think a lot of Dolphins fans saw how dreary the football was this year and decided that all of a sudden Adam Gase is bad when he's coaching Jake Cutler and Matt Moore and David Fales and an offense that couldn't block, couldn't throw, and at times could run. But I, I just think in general you, you see, you've seen glimpses of it from him for example, going on that really good run towards the end of the first year and then last year. To me, what gives me hope about Adam Gase is the Patriots game last year. On Monday Night Football, at home, for me, game planned his way to victory. Like you, he, You're never going to beat the Patriots just sort of on a talent basis if you're the Dolphins. To me, when, when I look at last year and I think, well, what was good for Adam Gase? It was that Patriots game. And while it was kind of a once-in-a-generation performance from a lot of players on the field on the day for the Dolphins, I think he outcoached Belichick on the day and really took it to him so I have hope there but Eric Spolster on the whole for me is underrated because there are still Heat fans that want to criticize him that want to say he's not a good coach I don't understand it but you're right Evan in terms of that point on LeBron but it comes from the organizational backing I think a lot of coaches in the NBA like Tyron Lue would like to be able to really go at LeBron James but you know that you have to keep him on side and then if push comes to shove if management says Tyron Lue or LeBron James they're going to side LeBron James every time whereas I genuinely think that Pat Riley lost LeBron James at least in part because he wouldn't kowtow to his every want and so Eric Spolster has that backing that he his position is never in question and he has he has the results to to back that up as well therein lies the difference between them is because the Heat are so rooted in their in themselves right they're so rooted in the people they're so rooted in the people that have been there for 20 years that they're always going to have the backing of each other. So off of your point, Chris, I wanted to ask Ethan a question because you brought up a really good point about two guys, about Cutler and Fails last year. Ethan, your theme with the Dolphins is you believe they have let gays impact personnel. Those mm-hmm. two guys were his guys. Does that scare you at all? Yeah, that's problematic uh, because that's the <laughs> position that, that's the position where you want him to make the biggest imprint, right? That's the reason he's here. And the Cutler thing, I mean, was a mistake in every conceivable way. Giving him $10 million was a mistake. Bringing him in when you knew he was a guy who doesn't exactly inspire others was a mistake. And it was also a mistake if you just wanted to break the thing down and have a bad season because Cutler was going to keep you close enough to the middle that you weren't going to end up with a top five pick. Like They would have been better off just turning the thing over to Matt Moore. If they went 4-12, and 12, they went 4-12. and 12. I mean, that's uh, to me, for the long-term success of the organization, that would have been better. I want to make one point before we move on to number five here, though, about Spo, because you're totally right about that. I had conversations with Spo about both of these things. The thing about LeBron was Spo told me that it was basically halfway through the second season where he went to LeBron and said, will you let me coach you? 
Okay, because uh, during that first year, LeBron's head and I was with them every day of that season. LeBron's head was all over the place. It was about being a villain. It was about everything that he was getting from the media. He he just was not in a good headspace that year. But he basically, supposed to that second year, was able to say, you know, will you let me coach you? And they had that conversation. And the things that happened then over the next year and a half where LeBron moved more to the four, which is something that he didn't want to do that Spolster was trying to push him to do. A lot of the ways that they played defensively, LeBron got more comfortable with over time. So Spo was able to do that. But Chris's point on this is perfect, too, because Spo was able to do that because, again, he had a stable organization behind him. Spo told me that he should have been fired three times. Okay, he said, if I was in any other organization, I would have been fired when we got LeBron in Bosch in 2010 because the guy at the top would have said we need somebody more experienced to coach them. I would have been fired at nine and eight when I got bumped in Dallas, which, by the way, he knew he got bumped in Dallas, even though he admitted after the, he said after the fact, he told Mike Wallace and I that he didn't know what happened. OK, and he says, and I would have been fired after the 2011 finals, even though the Bibby decision over Chalmers aside, he was not most at fault for what happened in the finals. LeBron was so. Spolster had a very good awareness of the fact that he was in a fortunate position to be with the Heat. Whether or not the Dolphins can ever give Gase that cover, and it seems like they're trying to, right? Like the trade of Ajayi, that dumping the three offensive linemen during the season last year. like Letting Landry go, too. Letting Landry go is a big part of that as well. Which, by the way, I'm, I may be in the minority on this. I think it was the right decision with Ajayi, and I think it's the right decision with Landry. Don't play the results of what the Eagles did, because that has nothing to do with the Dolphins. Those are the two most replaceable positions on a football field. So I have no problem if head coach doesn't believe that those two guys make quarterback better. Goodbye. See you later. Yeah, well, I, I, and Drake was great. Right, yeah. Yeah, Kenyon Drake was really good. And you look at, so Jarvis Landry had this inflated sense of himself, and he ended up with the Browns. So, I mean, they're, they're the only team that, that they clearly were the only team that valued him that way, or else he would be somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's just, there's no team in this region of the pro sports teams that goes to the media quicker, though, than the Dolphins to try and curry favor with the fans when they let a popular player go. And That is gross to me. I, I, I don't like that whatsoever. Like, they, they clearly scrambled to start leaking stuff about Landry, and I was like, come on, guys. You don't yeah. like they don't have to do this. Like on, on the merits of the decision, like Evan said, on a meritorial point of view, you can say that that, that that was the correct decision. It was totally rational. And and one thing you did say, Chris, about Adam Gase, and I agree, it was a great great game plan against the Patriots last year. But guess who also beat the Patriots? Joe Philbin and Tony Sperano twice. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not sure if that is overly inspiring for me. But I do agree with you. He had a good game plan. All right, let's move on to number five here. This is the last part. Going to go a little bit quicker with this one. Just want to get each of you guys to comment on this. The state of the league matters too. I mean, we've we've touched on this a little bit, but obviously it's different trying to get to the top in the NBA than it is trying to get to the top in the NFL. We see the same teams. I mean, with the exception of the Patriots in the NFL, there tends to be a little bit more variety in terms of the teams that we'll see in the Final Four and you know in the in the two conference championship games. In the NBA, man, we knew from the time that this season started that it was probably Golden State and Houston in the West, and we all assumed it was going to be Cleveland and Boston in the East uh, because we thought that Hayward and Kyrie were going to be healthy, and it still turned out to be Cleveland and Boston in the East, even with Cleveland trading half their roster, Kyrie getting hurt, and Hayward getting hurt, right? So the NBA, there's just no... Uh, you are what you are, right? Like, it's, it's harder to move up. So if I was to make one case for the Dolphins here, it would be that, okay? That, it, to me, it's easier in the NFL 
the Dolphins have proven to be the exception on this for the past 20 years, but it's easier in the NFL to move up and to turn things around than it is in the NBA, where really, unless you have uh, you know, that star or the, these days, those two or three stars, uh, it, it's sort of hard to bake break through in that mix to, to pass a Golden State in the West to 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 pass a LeBron team in the East. Does that make a difference for any of you guys? I'll start with Evan. Yeah, I actually d- disagree with that point. And here's why I disagree with it. Look at the AFC for the last 20 years. It's been Brady, Roethlisberger, Manning, Flacco. Like, that's it. That's like legitimately it. Right. So. Flacco's, I shouldn't even have included him, but you get what I'm saying. Brady Manning, Roethlisberger. Think about five years ago if somebody would have said, yeah, the Golden State Warriors are going and the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to be the most dominant teams in the NBA. Like, what? Like, where are they? How did that happen? Golden State, that's in California. Like, who, like that's ridiculous to think. And, like, that's my point is that I actually think it's the other way. I actually think the Dolphins are in the single word. Like, if they were in the NFC – I actually believe, even though the champs are there, I actually believe we'd sit back, and I know what the Jaguars have done, but I'd actually believe we'd sit back and say maybe they have a chance because there's at least been a little bit more. You know, the Falcons have been good. The Niners were good for a minute. The Seahawks were good. Obviously, the Giants won twice. Now the Eagles. The Cowboys had a nice run. Dak's first year. Like, the you know, Packers with Rodgers. Like, there's been more teams. The conference that they're in has been literally the same three guys for 20 years leading their team to the Super Bowl. So I actually disagree and think the Dolphins, maybe the sport as a whole, is more parity, but not the conference. Especially in the NBA, you have such a close-knit group of players, especially the superstars, and they communicate more than anybody in the NFL communicates about team movements, and uh, there's a bond between them. And what concerns me at times with the Heat is that the ringleader of it all was the one who came to Miami and left apparently acrimoniously. And you don't think that LeBron has said things about Pat to his boys and all these superstars and all of these rising stars that he takes under his wing and makes sure everybody knows about Ken, it on Instagram. Ken, Ken, Ken my, wait a minute. Wade came back. Okay, but purpose. Wade, well, that's, no, no, that's an like outlier. That, he no already had what, No, but no matter what LeBron says, it's literally peanut butter and jelly, so peanut butter is going against jelly. Like, okay, you and, can't say that anymore because Wade, Wade voluntarily what, came back. Okay, but Wade and Riley also, up until he came back, that was acrimonious as well. So just because one instance they ended up coming together because Wade happened to be available because he was doing nothing in Cleveland doesn't mean that LeBron's word doesn't carry more weight. And so that's what concerns me. And in the NBA, I don't think location necessarily matters. You would think, yes, with Pat Riley, that name, and uh, being in uh, Miami and South Beach and that whole pool, that would give the Heat an advantage. But I don't think it matters in the NBA. Oklahoma City pulled Paul George. was able to call Paul George. And there's, I understand that, but there's a potential to have him stay around. Russell Westbrook stayed in Oklahoma City. Yeah, so eligible for, me, for the Supermax. I don't think, that, again, I don't think any of those points are fair. Paul George was a trade and he's likely going to leave. Russell Westbrook gets paid $70 million more by chance because he was drafted by them and has been first-team NBA okay. second or third he, two or three years. He, like that's, he that's very well could have left. He very well could have left still. And so you look at it, at the NBA, you need a super team, not just one superstar, but you need a super team. The Warriors are a super team. The Rockets are a super team. Those are the only two squads in the NBA that are a super team right now. The Celtics nor the Cavs are going to beat them in the NBA Finals. And I think it's harder to – 
to build a super team in the NBA with how close knit all these superstar players are and the gossip that goes on than it is to have a bad year, get a great college quarterback, pick up a couple of free agent signings that make sense, and then go from there and have a chance to win your division. I think the, the Dolphins are in an advantage there. All right, so here, here's where I want to close with you guys because everybody's made good points on this. So let's just a couple word answers here as we finish this thing. In three years, Dolphins, Heat, Evan, Ken, then Chris. The Heat, because I believe in Pat Riley and I believe in his ability to reinvent his team for the third or fourth time now. The Heat, because the Dolphins have a quarterback situation and refuse to address it. I'll keep mine shorter. The Dolphins. I'll go with the Heat. Uh, I'm gonna. I'll. Uh, I'll. I'll break it so it won't end up being a tie. But I, I'm not as confident in it as I was. Um, I believe to a degree in their succession plan. I don't know who it's gonna be. Whether it's Shane or it's Eric or it's Andy or you mentioned Adam Simon, Nick Arison. They have a lot of different options. Um, but I'm gonna go with the Heat for for one reason. I, I do believe in their ownership more. All right, you can follow these guys. They're up at ESPN 106.3. Up in Palm Beach. Also, Evan has a show on Sirius XM. We really appreciate you guys joining us today. Great stuff. And I'm sure you guys will continue arguing when we get off the air here. And Evan is going to find a replacement for Ken. So everything worked out really well here on the show. You nailed so. it. I already have one. I already have one. Chris, you start on Monday or Tuesday. Just let me know. Uh, yeah, Monday's a little busy for me, but Tuesday I can okay, start. Tuesday. <laughs>